Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. I think that one of the most interesting and perhaps most widely overlooked aspects of botanical method aquariums is that their ability to provide sustenance for the fishes which reside in them. Yet we do talk a lot about how to feed our fishes and how best to provide nutrition for them in the hobby. However, have you ever thought about how it might be possible to create an interesting fish community and display based on the different feeding strategies of fishes. In other words, constructing your aquarium with the express purpose of supporting the various feeding adaptations of different fishes. Hmm, think of the possibilities here. It's kind of cool. The idea is absolutely not crazy nor revolutionary, but it's something, an angle if you will, that we should be considering when we construct our aquariums. One of the most important functions of many botanically influenced wild habitats is the creation and the support of what we call food webs. As we've discussed many times here on this podcast and in our blog, the leaf litter zones in tropical waters are home to a remarkable diversity of life, ranging from microbial to fungal, as well as crustaceans and insects and, oh, fishes too, right? (laughs) These life forms are the basis of complex and dynamic food webs, which are one of the keys to productivity in these habitats. By researching, developing, and managing our own botanically influenced aquariums, particularly those with leaf litter beds, we may be on the cusp of finding new ways to create nurseries for the rearing of many fishes. There's all kinds of possibilities here. Now, at least upon superficial examination, our aquarium leaf litter botanical beds seem to function much like their wild counterparts, creating an extremely rich microhabitat within our aquariums. And reports from those of you who breed and rear fishes in your intentionally botanically stocked aquariums are that you're seeing great color, more regularity in spawns, and higher survival rates from some species fry. We're just sort of beginning here, but the future is wide open for hobby-level contributions to which could lead to some serious breakthroughs in rearing and, and keeping of fishes. Nature's been providing for the organisms which live in our waters for eons, so I think any discussion about possible food production in aquariums in a bit, you know, starts here. The population and distribution of fishes is based partially upon what food resources are available in a given locale. So like a typical stream or river has a variety of different feeders and each one specializing in a different method of feeding. You'll often hear the term paraphyton mentioned in this context. And I think that for our purposes, Let's, let's start with paraphyton. For our purposes, we can essentially consider it in the same manner as we do what we call epiphytic matter. Paraphyton to the hobbyist is essentially a catch-all term for a mixture of cyanobacteria, algae, various microbes, and of course, detritus, which is found attached or in extremely close proximity to various submerged surfaces. Again, fishes will graze on this stuff continuously. In fact, Many of our favorite fishes may be classified as paraphyton grazers, which have small mouths, fleshy lips, and numerous little tiny teeth for rasping. Paraphyton, by the way, described by science, just so you know, is freshwater organisms attached to or clinging to plants or other objects projecting above the bottom sediment. So a little more descriptive, sounds good to me, right? This stuff is abundant in all sorts of streams, but can be limited by the availability of light and solid substrates to produce it. For this reason, specialized grazing fishes are rather uncommon in streams that contain, I don't know, sediments and sands that shift a lot, especially where there's dense shading by overhanging trees and shrubs. There's not a lot of productivity. However, in streams possessing silty or muddy bottoms, there is typically not enough aquatic plant or woody materials present to support an extensive community of paraphyton sufficient to support grazing fishes. 
In these types of habitats, many grazing fishes feed on our old fave, detritus, and other sediments that are rich in organic matter, especially during various times of the year when the periphyton is more limited. Stuff like fungi and diatoms provide additional nutrition for fishes that graze, so our decomposing leaf litter and seed pods and all that stuff are pretty useful for supporting this growth. One only need, you know, peruse scientific literature about the gut content analysis of various fishes to see that these items form the basic diet of a huge number of fishes. It's noteworthy to point out that detritus is a less nutritious source for grazers than a typical periphyton, especially for fishes like loricarid catfishes and fishes like that. And it's thought by scientists to be actively consumed when the periphyton growth is limited. So interestingly, fishes do shift their feeding patterns to adopt to seasonal and other changes in their habitats, something that we can replicate in our aquariums, no doubt. Natural aquatic habitats can range from highly productive to relatively impoverished from a biological standpoint. Major rivers like the Rio Negro are often called impoverished. You'll see that term a lot. They're called impoverished by scientists and ecologists in terms of planktonic production. They also show little seasonal fluctuations in algal and bacterial populations. Other blackwater systems do show seasonal fluctuations, like lakes and watercourses enriched with overflow in spring months. It makes sense. At low water levels, the nutrients and population of these life forms are generally more dense, right? Creatures like hydrocarines, which are also known as mites, insects like chironomids, you know, bloodworms, and copepods like Daphnia are the dominant fauna that fishes tend to feed on in these waters. This is interesting to contemplate when we consider what our fishes feed on in aquariums, right? I mean, why don't more commercial, you know, more commercial fish foods contain mostly aquatic insects? Hint, hint, hint. I mean, there are some out there, but interesting, right? Anyways, these life forms, both planktonic and insect, tend to feed off the leaf litter itself, as well as fungi and bacteria present in them as they decompose. The leaf litter bed is a surprisingly dynamic, and one might even say rich little benthic biotope, contained within the otherwise impoverished waters. And as we've discussed before, it should come as no surprise that a large and surprisingly diverse assemblage of fishes make their home within and closely adjacent to these litter beds. These are little food oases in an otherwise relatively area relatively devoid of food. The fishes aren't there just to look at the pretty leaves. They're there to eat. It's not really that much different in the aquarium, is it? I mean, think about it. As the leaves and botanicals break down, they're acted upon by fungi and bacteria, just like in nature, the degree of which is, of course, dependent upon the available food sources. Granted, with fishes in closer proximity and in a higher density than in many wild habitats, the natural food sources are usually not sufficient to be the primary food source for our fishes. However, that's one hell of a supplement, isn't it? And that's why in a botanical rich leaf litter dominated aquarium, you see the fishes spending a lot of time just foraging in and among the leaf litter, just like they do in nature. It's been observed by many aquarists, particularly those who breed loricard catfishes, that the fry have significantly higher survival rates when they're reared in systems with leaves present. Now, I'm sure some success of this can be attributed to the population of infusoria or whatever present within the system as the leaves break down. Bacterial biofilms, as we've discussed billions of times here, right, contain a complex mix of sugars, bacteria, and other materials, all of which are relatively nutritious for animals which feed on them. So it would therefore make a lot of sense that botanical-influenced aquariums with respectable growth of biofilm would be a great place to rear fry. 
Maybe not the most attractive place from an aesthetic standpoint, but a system where the little guys are essentially knee deep in supplemental natural food at any given time. That's a beautiful thing to the busy fish breeder. And what about the leaves themselves? Do aquatic animals feed on them? Well, yes and no. I mean, some fishes, for example, again, loricarids, will feed on some of the materials directly, rasping off surface tissues. Others, like certain kerosens, notably headstanders, metanis, and other similar fishes, will feed off the algal growth, or the what we call the offwooks, the, as it's collectively referred to, present on the botanicals and leaves in the environment. As we've talked about previously, aquatic invertebrates and crustaceans are one of the primary foods consumed by many fishes which reside in tropical streams, and the amounts and types are dictated by the environment of the stream, which includes factors like the surrounding topography, current, elevation, surrounding plant growth, etc., etc., etc. Now, many fishes like headstanders and others simply consume, you know, tiny crustaceans as part of their sediment feeding activity. Now, we're not likely to set up aquariums with fine silty sediments stocked with tons of little copepods and worms and such, but well, maybe if we were, how long would it take a few fishes to decimate the population, I wonder? You'd have to let that tank run in for a while, but hey, I'm up for that idea. Is it possible to create a real active substrate filled with these creatures and to be able to pre-stock it with tons of small life forms prior to the introduction of fish? Of course it is. Would there be some way to replenish the population of these creatures and thus the substrate itself periodically? Yeah, I know that it's possible. I know that you can do this. Detritus, sediment, etc. All these things are important food sources, all of which can be cultivated in our tanks for the benefit of our fishes. At the risk of being a bit pretentious, I'm going to quote myself from an article I wrote back in 2015. I wrote, maybe we'll finally overcome generations of fear over detritus and fungi and biofilms, the life forms which power the aquatic ecosystems we strive to replicate in our aquariums. Maybe rather than attempting to erase these things which go against our Instagram-fueled aesthetics of how we think nature should look, we might want to meet nature where she is and work with her. That was kind of a good quote, I think, it held the test of time. And I said, and then we might see the real beauty and benefits of unedited nature. And I think we're there. Hobbyists are starting to do this more and more. One of the important food sources uh, in natural aquatic systems is also what's known as macrophytes. These are aquatic plants which grow in and around the water, emerge, submerge, floating, whatever. Not only do macrophytes contribute to the physical structure and the spatial organization of the water bodies they inhabit, they're the primary contributors to the overall biological stability of the habitat, conditioning the physical parameters of the water. Of course, anybody who keeps a planted aquarium could attest to that, right? One of the interesting things about macrophytes is that although there are a lot of fishes which feed directly upon them, in this context, the plants themselves are perhaps most valuable as a microhabitat for algae, zooplankton, and other organisms which fish feed on. Small aquatic crustaceans seek out the shelter of plants for both the food resources and for protection from predators, you know, our fishes. <laughs> now, I have personally set up a couple of systems recently to play with this idea, botanical-influenced planted aquariums, and have experimented with going extended periods of time without feeding my fishes who lived in these tanks, and they've remained as fat and happy as when they were added to the tanks, just like I did in my leaf litteroni experiments a few years back. There's something there, literally. Again, perhaps what's most interesting to us botanical method aquarium people are what are known as epiphytes. Let's talk about those epiphytes one more time. Um, epiphytes are organisms which grow on the surface 
of plants or other substrates and derive their nutrients from the surrounding environment. And they're important in the nutrient cycling and the uptake in both nature and in the aquarium. In the case of our aquatic habitats, they'll, you know, fishes will, will spend a ton of time looking for epiphytes. And many fishes will spend most of their lives doing that, foraging through the bio cover on tree trunks, branches, leaves, and other botanical materials. And although most animals use the leaves and tr- branches for shelter, not directly as a food item, grazing on this epiphytic growth on this stuff is really important. Some organisms, such as nematodes and chironomids, you know, again, bloodworms, will dig into the leaf or wood structures and feed on the tissues themselves, as well as the fungi and bacteria found in and among them. These organisms, in turn, become part of the diet for many fishes. And the resulting detritus produced by the processed and decomposing plant matter is considered by many aquatic ecologists to be an extremely significant food source for a lot of fishes, especially in areas like Amazonia and Southeast Asia, where Detritus is considered an essential factor in the food webs of these habitats. And of course, if you observe the behavior of many of your fishes in the aquarium, uh, you're likely going to see that between feedings, they spend an awful lot of time picking at stuff on the bottom of the tank. In a botanical method aquarium, this is pretty much a common everyday occurrence. It's something we see constantly, don't we? And I believe that it's an important benefit of these types of systems. I've said it many times and it bears saying again. I'm of the opinion that a botanical method aquarium, complete with you know all of its decomposing leaves and seed pods and so forth, can serve as a sort of a literal buffet for many fishes. Uh, you know, even those whose primary food sources are known to be things like insects and worms and stuff like that. Detritus and organisms within it can provide an excellent supplemental food source for our fishes, just like they do in nature. Another interesting fact, it's well known that in many habitats like inundated forest floors and places like that, fishes will adjust their feeding strategies to utilize the available food sources at different times of the year, such as the dry season or whatever. And it's also known that many fish fry feed actively on bacteria and fungi in these habitats. So I suggest once again that a botanical method aquarium can be an excellent sort of nursery for many fish species. You'll, you know, again, you're going to be thinking about these types of organisms that come into the food web of our aquariums as they do in nature. And I think there's a lot there. And of course, there's the alechthonus input that we talk about so much. Foods from the surrounding environment, like flowers, fruits, terrestrial insects, stuff like that. These are extremely important foods for many fish species. We mimic this process when we feed our fishes prepared foods. This stuff literally rains from the sky, right? Now, I think what we feed to our fishes directly in this fashion is equally as important as how it's fed. I'd like to see a lot more experimentation with foods like live ants, the old favorite fruit flies, and other winged insects. Now, of course, I can hear the protests already, not in my house, Felman, and I get it. I mean, who wants a plague of you know winged insects getting loose in their suburban home because some feeding experiment gone awry. I get that. But I think we need to distance ourselves or let ourselves embrace, excuse me, distance ourselves from our concerns and let ourselves embrace this stuff and celebrate it for what it is. Life, sustenance, diversity, foraging, the ability to create a system that provides all of these things. I think that those of us who maintain botanical method aquariums have made that mental shift to understand, accept, and even appreciate all of these things. And I think that's a huge, you know, huge turning point in the in the hobby i and 
we simply look at nature. Natural habitats are filled with all this stuff in every nook and cranny. It's like the whole game here, an explosion of life-giving materials, all free for the taking. A real gift from nature. Yet, first century or so in the hobby, our first instinct is to reach for the algae scraper or the siphon hose and lament our misfortune with our friends and get this stuff out. It need not be this way. Its appearance in our tanks is actually a blessing. Really, you call it a mess. I call it food. So do our fishes. Another mental shift, I suppose, but one which many of you have already made, no doubt, or hope you have or can. I certainly look forward to seeing many examples of us utilizing what we've got to the advantage of our fishes. Again, a truly natural, and I say that in air quotes, natural aquarium is not sterile. It encourages the accumulation of organic materials and other nutrients, not in excess, of course, but biofilms, fungi, detritus, all these things have their place in the aquarium. Not as an excuse for lousy or lazy husbandry, no, 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 but as a supplemental food source to power the life in our tanks. They're real gifts from nature that you can benefit from simply by working the web of life that arises when our, without our intervention as soon as leaves, wood, and water mix. Keeping you know these mental shifts going in our head is really important. Keep meeting nature where she is. She's not going to let you down, I promise. Oh, and then there's those insects. Let's get back to those one more time. You know, the terrestrial ones like ants, flies, spiders, etc. They're really important to fishes, which reside in streams and forests and other locales where the land and water interact extensively. Now, not everyone's cup of tea, I know, but could, for example, ants, which make up a surprisingly large part of the diet based on gut content analysis I've seen, of some fishes like kerosens and even some cichlids, can they not be a practical supplement food for our fishes? I can just see a sudden surge like in the popularity of you know ant farms like we had when we were kids as hobbyists race you know to culture their own populations of these insects but why not right in the forests of south america asia and africa where streams run through you know throughout the year there's numerous alectonous resources to be had like fruits flowers and the aforementioned insects which fall into the water and help comprise part of the diet of many fishes and interestingly, it's thought that many of the fruit and seed-eating fishes, like myelis, metanis, and other kerosens, don't actually destroy the seeds of the fallen fruits when they consume them, and they just poop them out. So that might be a significant seed dispersal agent for riparian and floodplain trees in those areas. I think that's super cool, right? Interestingly, a lot of these fishes also consume insects and aquatic invertebrates, depending on the season. Another example of that strategy, which makes sense, is it takes advantage of what's available at different times of the year. Now, there are a fair number of fishes that consume aquatic plants, or more properly, parts of aquatic plants as part of their diet, like dorided catfishes and animostids, you know, the head standers. Often they're consuming epiphytic algae and stuff in the process, but I'm not suggesting to utilize plants in your aquascape for the sole purpose of feeding your fishes. However, it's not entirely out of the realm of reality to do this, right? A lot of omnivorous fishes in the wild are removing the periphyton from the roots of the floating plants in some streams, so it may make sense to utilize these plants as a sort of onboard culture station in your aquarium to support the feeding habits of fishes like kerosens, danios, barbs, whatever. It's interesting to contemplate designing a biotope or another aquarium around feeding, an important but really often overlooked aspect of fish behavior when it comes to tank design, that is. With a little research, a lot of experimentation and some playing, our much-evolved expertise in fish feeding can be merged with our love of aquascaping and it seems like a natural combination doesn't it it does it might simply be an idea that's always been right in front of our noses which we just resisted for a generation or two evolution perhaps
Stay persistent. Stay engaged. Stay confident. Stay open-minded. Stay unafraid. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Tent and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.